0: Welcome to the Hope Adventist Fellowship Sermon Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by the message that you're about to listen to. And if you're in the Oklahoma City area or ever passing through on a Saturday morning, we would love to have you join us live and in person for one of our worship services. You can find out more information at hopeadventist.org about our service times. And if you're on social media, so are we. Search for us Hope Adventist Fellowship on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You can connect with us there. And with that, we'll get into the message. God bless you, and we hope to connect with you soon. So, last week we looked at the kingdom of heaven, and if you didn't get anything else from the sermon, the thing that really stuck with me through the week that was very significant for me was that parable of the dragnet. And we looked at that parable there in Matthew 13 about how the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that is thrown into the sea, and it catches in it all kinds of fish. And the significance of that is that the kingdom of heaven, it captures every one that it encompasses. And while the net is limited around the boat, the kingdom of heaven is not limited. And so that means that every single one of us is meant to be in the kingdom of heaven. That's the significance of this parable. What Jesus teaches, every single person he has ever created was created with the intention that they would live in the kingdom of heaven. Not a single person has ever been created who was destined for destruction. That was never God's intent. God did not create anyone just so that they would be here to suffer and be destroyed. And so the kingdom of heaven is available to everyone. Everyone is caught up in the net. You are caught up in this net, the kingdom of heaven but so is everyone else. Now, once the net gets ashore, Jesus told us that the workers would come and they would sort the fish, and not all fish were good fish. That's not for us to decide, right? That's for God to decide. What determines whether you're a good fish or a bad fish is how you choose to live inside the net. That's what Jesus is really getting at. How do you interact with The kingdom of heaven how do you live within this reality that we are in the kingdom of heaven and how you interact with that reality is going to determine whether or not you're a good fish or a bad fish whether you are ultimately ushered into the new heaven and the new earth for eternal life or whether you are not so how we respond to this truth that we are in the kingdom of heaven is really central To this thing that we call the Christian life. How do we respond? There's basically four generalized ways that I could think of that people can respond to being in the net. The first one is they can just not even know they're in the net. There's a lot of people like that. They're living their lives, they have no conception of God, they've never been exposed to them. Even here in the Bible belt buckle of the United States in Oklahoma, there are people who have no concept of the kingdom of heaven. They don't know God. They only know Jesus is a swear word. They're, there's no, they're just ignorant. They're just ignorant of the reality that they live in. Even here in the midst of this, this Christian nation, in this hyper-Christian part of our nation, there are people who just are ignorant of it. The second type of person is someone who's resentful of it. They know, but boy, they're not happy. I was there. Maybe you've been there. Where Whenever someone tries to talk to you about God or the church, it just stirs something in your heart. People used to try to talk to me. I got invited to church one time, and the guy got cussed out just for inviting me to come to church with him. He wasn't trying to say anything other than, hey man, would you like to come to church? And I gave him all the four-letter words I had in my hip pocket. I was resentful of God because I had been hurt, and there's a lot of people Either because life has been difficult, because they have faced hardships, they've been abused, they've been beaten down, they've faced sicknesses and cried out to God and received no help. And so they just cannot conceive of a God who could possibly be loving because when they thought they needed him most, he didn't show up and they resent him for it. Or, which is really at the root of a lot of this, is that people have interacted with Christians who so terribly misrepresented the character of God. And they hurt, and they damaged, and they abused people all under the guise of Christianity, under the guise of trying to save your soul, trying to get you right with God. It creates this view of God that is unpalatable. And so there are these people who who live in this resentment, this hatred, this animosity towards God. They're not ignorant of it. They know full well they don't want anything to do with it. And they're resentful of it. Then we start to get into the people who are somewhat aware of the kingdom of heaven. I would call them Christians. And there's two different ways that as Christians, we can exist in the kingdom of heaven. And these are the two that I'm primarily gonna focus on, but I just wanna make the note that for those who are resentful of Christianity, of God, what they need is a lot like this next group of what the Christians need, which is that there's, there are those among us. Maybe you are one of these people. I was in the past, one of these people who you're a Christian. You know that God is real. You have put your faith in him. You have received his life for years and you, you believe that he is going to save you, but yet your life is characterized by misery and unhappiness and a lack of assurance you're not sure like you want to believe that Jesus is going to save you you want to believe that Jesus is going to make a difference in your life but you're just not real sure about it whenever something goes wrong in your life whenever you're facing difficulties or hardships, your first move is to start to beat yourself up and feel like maybe I'm not good enough maybe I did something wrong Maybe I didn't pay my tithe. Maybe that sin that I sinned on Tuesday, that's why God allowed this to happen. Like your life is not characterized by the abundance, the joy, the peace, the hope, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, all the fruits of the Spirit that that God has promised us. That's not the character of your life. But Jesus, and you want to be with him, and you're trying your hardest. You're trying your very best. And just coming up short, And that really gets at you, that you're just not quite good enough. There's a lot of people that live that way. Maybe you're one of those people. The fourth group are Christians who live a happy life. They live a life that is the very manifestation of all the promises of God. Something goes wrong in their life, you wouldn't know it because they just keep right on rolling. Nothing seems to get them down. They're happy all the time. They, they have this peace and this confidence and this assurance that no matter what is happening in their life, it's going to be okay. And you know those people because when you're around them, their spirit just really connects with you. They're joyous Christians and the love of God just emanates from them. And whenever you're around them, you just feel peaceful. You know that when they're speaking to you, they're speaking words of life. They're speaking words that they have lived by experience and taste and see that God has been good to them and they can share that. And so what I want to talk with you about today is how we can be that happy type of Christian. Because, see, you can be in Christ. You can be surrendered to Him, trying your best to live a life, struggling through your Christian experience, and your salvation is still sure. But God wants so much more for you. God wants us to live this life that is characterized by abundance and joy. He wants us to be happy. Here's the thing is that you can be walking with Jesus all the way to heaven and miserable about it the whole way. And that's really sad, but you have eternity at the end of it. So that's good, right? But God wants you to experience the joy of the kingdom of heaven, the eternal life manifested now today. And wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't that be better if we could just live today right now as if we have already entered into the very eternity that God has promised us? That's what the Bible tells us is true about you and me, that in Christ, we already have eternal life. And so how do we live that way? How do we live lives that are happy? That's what I want to try to help you wrestle with today. I knew this kid one time many years ago, and, and if I can just talk from a worldly perspective, he didn't have a whole lot going for him. He lived at home. He couldn't hold down a job. He lived with his mom, drove his mom's car, spent his mom's money. And all he wanted to do was just live it up he just wanted to just live the life, right, that, that you see on MTV or whatever. Just, he wanted to party all the time, and he wanted to do drugs, and he wanted to just live it up. And, and he wasn't particularly attractive either. But somehow, this guy constantly was dating way out of his league. And it always struck me, like, how is this guy, with nothing of particular value to offer, from, especially from a worldly sense, right, Able to connect with these girls that, that were together, going somewhere in their life, beautiful, from families that had, were providing for them, and they had jobs, and they had plans, and they were going to college, and then somehow they're with this guy that just, like, how did that even happen? I used to wonder, and sometimes I would want to ask them, but I thought, that's weird. <laughs> I can't go up and go, what are you doing with this guy? But they would cycle through, and there was always another. And one time, Lauren was at the mall, and she ran into him, and they were talking. I don't remember how it came up, but basically, she got to observe him go talk to a girl. And, and he just was confident to a fault, just overflowing with confidence. And so he, he felt like his perception of himself was that he was God's gift to humanity, There was nothing in his current circumstance that led him to consider that that his life was anything but on an upward trajectory. He was going to be rich. He was going to party and live the lifestyle that he wanted to live. And even though that was not happening and had not happened up until this point in his life for many years, way past the time you should have been out of your mom's house if you weren't like going to school or trying to get yourself established in the world, like if you're just doing nothing, it never dawned on him that he shouldn't just have everything that, that he wanted to have. That, that everything that he thought about himself was absolutely true, contrary to the evidence otherwise. And this is a problem only because this is overconfidence. This is confidence built on a lie. This is a self-perception that he has created for himself that is not true, but yet he lives as if it is. And the result was, is that for the most part, Things were pretty good for what they could be when you're just living it up for the world. If you've ever lived the life that people live in the world, doing drugs, partying all the time, going to clubs, like this is what people think is like the pinnacle of life to just jet set and have fancy things and do all the stuff like that's going to make you happy. And the reality is that when you get past it and you don't realize this when you're in it, But once you finally get past it, you realize that all of those things that you were doing, that you were thinking were making you happy, they weren't really making you happy, because the minute they were gone, you were miserable again, right? You surround yourself with people, and you're living it up, and you're partying, and then you're alone, and you're sad, right? You have this relationship, and you're really connected, and you feel wonderful, but then it ends, and you wonder what's going to happen Is anybody ever going to love you? Like you're miserable. These things, they're trying to cover up something deeper that you can't even see in yourself because you're choosing to believe a lie. You're believing that these things will do something for you that they cannot do and they're not addressing the root problem. Are you with me? So this is overconfidence. But the same thing can happen to us. The same thing can happen to good people who start to believe bad things about themselves that are not true. And then as they believe those things about themselves, and let's just bring it in into our world now, as we as sons and daughters of God, people who have put our faith in Jesus and been baptized and raised to a new life, we can choose to believe a lie about who we are. We can choose to believe that we are not good enough, that, that we are not valuable to God. We can choose to believe about ourselves that we're just never going to have victory in our life. We're never gonna overcome. We're never gonna be able to do anything good. We're never gonna be loved. We're never gonna be able to have the relationship that we wanna have. We can just believe all of these lies and if we believe them enough, they will be just as true for us as that guy believed that he was God's gift to women and humanity. And so we're here We've been offered something wonderful, but we can't access it because we don't believe it. Because we're choosing to believe a lie about ourselves. And this is where we really start to get into the meat of the life of faith. We've talked about this over and over. That faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is holding on to what is, even when we can't see it. Even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't make sense to us that it could be, faith is believing and living as if it is. And we can believe that and we can live that way because it came from the mouth of God. And what God says is. It can't be any other way. And so we we have to learn to anchor back to God's word in our life. As we're going through this life and we're trying to live a Christian life, we are in fact in the middle of a conflict. Maybe you would even call it a controversy. Maybe it's a great one. It's a great controversy. Right? We're in the midst of this spiritual warfare that is happening, and the battlefield is really the earth. We are caught in the middle of a conflict between God and Satan. And we're, we're just stuck here in the middle of it. And the battlefield is not the physical, it's not the world around us. It's really not so much that maybe you wrecked your car or you lost your job or you got sick. Those are really not where the battle is fought. The battle is fought in our minds. The battle is fought in how we choose to relate to the things that are happening to us. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I promise we're eventually going to get to Matthew chapter 5. We will get there. Matthew chapter 10, and, uh, and we'll pick it up in, in verse three. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Paul here is describing the spiritual warfare that we're in. How does he describe it? He describes it in terms of these strongholds that exist, that are arguments, that are about the knowledge that we have in our head. And that The way we fight this fight is to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Are you with me? And so here's the thing. What God has said about us, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that in Christ you have been made new. That in Christ you have been freed from sin. But yet we we struggle because in our lives, in our flesh, we feel like we do not see the manifestation of the promises of God because we wrestle with temptation. We wrestle with thoughts that lead us into sin. Do you know what I'm talking about here? And you, you feel like, oh, I want to be a good Christian, but yet I had this thought. And then because I had this thought, I decided to do the thing. But think about how you get most of the time from that thought to the thing. The thought comes in and what's your first response? I don't want that. I know that's not good for me. I know I'm going to feel bad when I, if I do that. I know that's not the direction I want to go. I know from experience that when I do that thing, that doesn't get me where it promises it's going to get me, but yet the thought is there. And so maybe you try to push it off. Maybe you try to ignore it. Maybe you try to just pretend like it, it wasn't there, and maybe you can do that for a day or two, but it keeps coming back. And it sounds like it's your thought. It sounds because, yeah, this is definitely how before Christ, this is what I used to think and this is how I used to do. And so we start to believe the lived experience of what we perceive as happening in our head and give it more power and more confidence in what it is saying than what God has said about us. Are you with me so far? Okay. So then we're fighting and we're pushing back and we're trying not to do it because we feel like we have to be strong and not give in. And we've already lost. Because we do not possess in ourselves the strength to overcome the enemy. Amen. If we did, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. That's the very, that's the whole point of the cross is that we do not possess in ourselves the strength to overcome Satan. And so when we're faced with these temptations and we try to go it on our own, we're done. So then you're fighting back, and it keeps coming back, and you start to think, maybe I'm not who I thought I was. Maybe this is who I am. Maybe I'm this person who still wants to do this thing and live this way. And maybe the fact that my heart is still longing for this thing means that God isn't even real. Have you ever experienced that? It gets there really fast. If this is what's going on in my heart, then maybe everything I've thought I believe about God isn't true. And we begin to step away to give more and more power to these thoughts that are not actually even our own because we are new. Because in Christ, we've been given a new heart. Do you understand? The new covenant is not that eventually, maybe, it's that when you are in Christ, the hard heart, part of stone will be taken away. It'll be replaced with a new heart. That's the new covenant. That is what happens. And so these things that are in our minds, they're not even our thoughts. You know who you are? You're the one who doesn't want to do it. Your heart is telling you, fighting against it. The reason that you're even resisting is because you're not who you used to be. But when you start to listen to those thoughts and you start to say, oh, maybe that is who I am. Yeah, that's who I am. I'm the guy that wants to do that thing. I'm the person that that wants to live that way. We let go of what God has already given us. We let go of what God has promised to do in our lives. And so how do we confront this, how do we fight back against this? We have to learn to believe God's word over our feelings. We have to learn that in whatever circumstance we are in, that we will choose to hold on to what God has said more than what we feel like is true in the moment. How do we do that? If you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter four, yeah, I'm going to get to Matthew, I promise. Philippians chapter 4. You see, as we're going through this life, as, as we're learning to, to live following after Jesus, as we're going through this thing that we call sanctification, the process of becoming like Christ, seeing our life transformed to be more like Him, that process is learning in every step, in every circumstance to believe God over our feelings, to believe God over our circumstances. And so that takes time. It's a process because as we grow, we uncover more and more lies that are moving us, more and more things that are causing us to doubt God's word. And so we don't let those things get us down. Why? Because we're going to believe God's word over our feelings. But how do we do this? How do we progress? How do we hold on to this? How do we start to make this real in our lives? Philippians chapter four, and we'll begin in verse eight. Just for context, Paul is in prison. I think that if you think about that, whenever you read Philippians, first thing you should think is Paul's writing this in prison. He's had his freedom taken away from him. He's given his life to serve God, and he's ended up in prison. And now he's writing this letter. And it's just good to have that in your mind whenever you're reading in Philippians. Okay. so here he is in prison. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, This this is not just a good practice. This is not just positive affirmations. This is not just visualizations to try to change your metaphysical energy. When Paul is calling us to, to think on these things, to set our mind on things that are above and not on things that are below, he is calling us to fix our focus and our faith on the Word of God. Because the Word of God has the power to do the very thing that it says. And so when we meditate on these things from Scripture that are good and praiseworthy and wholesome and encouraging, it actually has the power to do that in our lives. So that when we are faced with temptations and trials and hardships, we set our mind on the Word of God, and God will change how you see yourself in your circumstances. He will be with you and bring you peace going on. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you, your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak regarding to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Might be able to say happy. Writing from prison, whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. What does that mean? I know how to be abased. I know how to lack. I know how to be in need. I know how to suffer. And I know how to abound. I know what it's like when times are good and things are great. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is not about being famous, getting rich, being able to dunk, whatever it may be. That verse is a promise from God that if we will meditate on his word, if we will keep the things in front of us that are good and praiseworthy, that no matter what situation we're in, no matter what we're facing, whether it's good or bad, our circumstances will not affect the underlying attitude of our life, that it will not change how we see ourselves and how we perceive our reality, that it will not cause us to question whether or not what God has said about us is true, that it will not cause us to think that maybe i'm not maybe I'm not in the kingdom of heaven, maybe I'm not good enough. does God really love me? have I proven myself? well, I fell the other day, and I did that sin, and so now God's not help me, and then oh yeah, and I didn't do my devotions, and yeah that day ended up being a really bad day because I didn't get up and do them at six o'clock for one hour because you have to spend a mindful hour and I did them at the end of the day but then that meant the next day was not good either because I didn't get up but you, you see where this goes I think that probably you have gone down these paths before where you liken everything that's happening in your life based on your performance of some spiritual duty or lack thereof bad things are going to happen because we are caught in a war One of the things that that people miss so much in this conversation about why do bad things happen, this idea that God works all things together for good doesn't mean that God causes bad things to happen. It means that he's going to take a bad situation, even though it's a bad situation, and ultimately he will bring a blessing out of it. Doesn't mean he caused the bad thing. We are in the midst of a conflict. That means that God doesn't always get his way. It means that sometimes... God takes hits in this war. And unfortunately, we are the battlefield. We are caught in the middle of this because the enemy knows that he can't hurt God, but God loves us. And so he comes after his children because he knows that hurts God and it's all that he can do. And so that's where we are. So how do we learn to live differently? Here in Matthew at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's so powerful that this is where Jesus starts. Because Jesus is speaking to this multitude of people, many of whom are just regular average people in the Jewish economy. They're nothing special. And what that meant is that because they were nothing special, because they hadn't been blessed, because they hadn't been chosen to be in the schools of the religious teachers, because they had just had to take a trade, that that somehow they did not have the same favor, that God did not care for them as much. That, that they were less than in, in the Jewish economy, in the Jewish culture. And so Jesus here, he gathers them together, and he's going to teach them. And people argue about this. I have a book on my shelf that's in different ways that people try to interpret the Sermon on the Mount. And it all starts here, really, from the Beatitudes. What are the Beatitudes trying to teach us? What are they trying to tell us? And there's all these different ways to think about it. And one of the prevailing ones is that it's some sort of ladder that we have to climb that we have to start by being poor in spirit. So we have to come to this place where we are beat down enough that we realize that we are in need and then we can start to climb the ladder and we start to mourn. And then we, in our mourning, we become meek and on. And, and that's how I've related to this quite a bit, but there's something interesting that have always, it's always stood out to me here is that the beatitudes are bookended by the same promise. If you're poor in spirit or if you've been persecuted for righteousness sake, The kingdom of heaven is yours. This list, I want to suggest to you, is not some path that you have to walk. It's not some series of attainments that you have to do. It's not a process of becoming more holy. What Jesus is saying here is he's appealing to the audience. And he says, look, do you feel poor in spirit? You're blessed. You're blessed if you're poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is yours. I guess I should talk about this word blessed for a minute. This word blessed is makarios. And and there's a lot of questions about how you would interpret this word. When you think about being blessed, it feels like it is a response to something, right? So if you're going to be blessed, you do something and then you receive a blessing in return. That's the prevailing idea of being blessed. You can think that it's unmerited, that it's kind of grace based, like some people do think that way, but for the most part, when we think about being blessed, there is this part of we did the thing, and so now we get the blessing. It's baked in. And so that kind of colors how we do it. The word works there, but another way to translate this word is to be happy. Happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I was in a chat several months ago, and we were going round and round on this question of, of interpreting, translating this word. Should it be blessed or should it be happy? And there's this question, how can you say that someone should be happy if they're being persecuted? How can you say that someone should be happy if they're mourning? How can you say that someone should be happy if they're lacking, if people are speaking all kinds of evil against them falsely? If all of these bad things are happening in your life, how can you tell someone that they should be happy in light of these things, right? Right? You use the word blessed because then it's going to be blessed if you endure this thing. But I want to tell you that what I believe that what God wants us to know is that we don't have to allow our circumstances to determine our perspective on the world around us. And so we don't allow the fact that we're feeling poor in spirit to change our hearts about who we know that we are. And so happy are they that are poor in spirit because they know that the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when you mourn because you know that you will be comforted. Happy are you when you're meek because you know that even though it feels like the world tells you that if you're meek, that if you're mild-mannered, that if you don't fight for yourself, that you'll never get ahead. The promise is that you will inherit the earth. Happy are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you will be filled. That should speak a word. I'm just gonna believe that every single one of you is here because you know that God has called you and you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But there's probably those times where you feel like you're not going to get it and it causes you to feel some kind of way about it. God promises that you will be filled and it's not a future filling. We believe that we already have been filled And so even though we don't feel like it right now, we know it by faith. Happy are those who are pure in heart because they know that they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted, reviled, and killed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And they have the honor of walking with those who have given their life and endured this. Because at every point in earth's history, God's people... Have gone through these challenges. So, how is it that we can live a happy life? We choose to believe what God has said over how we feel about what we're going through right now. So, if we feel like we're not measuring up, that doesn't matter because God has promised that we do. And yes, He wants us to progress, but where you're at in that journey, how far you've come with God up until this point. That does not change the fact that you are fully loved and accepted in Jesus Christ. And so when you feel like you're not measuring up, you still believe and live as if you are. When you feel like life's getting you down, when work's not going good and money's tight, you're not sure how you're going to pay the bills and you're worried about losing your job and things are just going generally in a bad direction and you're tempted to feel like maybe God has abandoned you and you start searching, trying to figure out what is it that I'm not doing? What have I neglected to do that God is refusing to bless me? Understand that God has blessed you already. Look past the surface of our circumstances. Fix your mind on things that are above, not on things that are below. We stop seeing the world purely by the experience that we're living and begin to view our life in light of the fact that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we have entered the kingdom of heaven. So this week is your spending time. If you could switch the slide for me, I lost it here. You're spending time with God really just in your life. This is a practice that doesn't have to localize at any time. When you find yourself feeling, recognizing that there's these recurring feelings of sadness or discouragement. You just, they're popping up and you recognize like this is a pattern. Begin to start asking God in those moments. Say, God, can you reveal to me why I'm feeling this way? Can you help me understand what it is that's causing me to feel this way? And then will you help me to be able to see What you have already done for me how you have already delivered me from this and then ask him to help you hold on to that truth and i promise that he will deliver you from that discouragement that you will be able to live happy in jesus no matter what circumstances you are in